This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, top of the day to all our authors and writers who join us throughout the year for a variety of programs. And we've never done a combo um, like this. Number one, we have a legend as an agency uh, creator, founder, Donald Moss is with us today. And we're going to take two avenues here. One, we'll talk about what's going on in the literary scene um, and working with agents and tips and tricks there, but also the craft of fiction writing, which is truly what is expertise. And I ran into Don in Las Vegas. We were both speakers at the Las Vegas Writers Conference um, earlier this year. And he has written multiple, multiple books. His his latest book is The Emotional Craft to Fiction. And we're going to deep dive into that because that is an just an elementary issue of grabbing and engaging the reader to turn it into also a page turner. So Donald Moss has been around since like a long time, but he started his agency in New York in 1980. They sell more than 150 novels every year to major publishers throughout the United States and overseas. And as, as in addition to his latest book, The Emotional Craft of Fiction, he's also the author of The Career Novelist, Writing the Breakout Novel, Writing the Breakout Novel Workbook, and the 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 fire in fiction. So with that said, he's he's been president of the Association of Authors Representatives, which is the big big place in the sky, not in the sky, on the land, that authors actually look for literary representation. So here's what we're going to do. He, he's got seven agents under his umbrellas that represent a variety of fiction. Non, uh, fiction is where they're at, fantasy, sci-fi, etc. for all realms in that area. But I want to just jump into it and first welcome Don to Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing. Uh, thanks very much, Judith. How are you? I'm great today. Actually, it's not raining here in Colorado. You're in New York. I have no idea what's going on weather-wise there. but Hot, hot and steamy. <laughs> hot and steamy. That's like it was when I was in St. Louis. It was 108 degrees. I was speaking at the St. Publishers, uh, St. Louis Publishers Conference, and it was 108 and sweaty. Oh, oh. oh gosh. But, but they were well, let's great. To, we'll keep it cool on the air today. <laughs> no, we can get hot. We, maybe steamy. So <laughs> let's just jump into and and if I can just kind of um, get a perspective of, of what's happening in the, the just the representation um, arena. I mean, kind of the buzz is that it's harder to get books sold. Um, you know, is there any truth into that? And what kind of what's going on in the advance arena? And I guess I would also say, is there some genre that seems to be hot right now over others? What's your take? 
<laughs> That's like three big questions all at once. So well, there you go. To, uh, That'll take us the first <laughs> the first segment. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I'm happy to give you my perspective on uh, on all of that. Um, it, when we're looking at publishing today, we're looking at the uh, results of some macro trends that have been um, in place and and developing over the, the course of my 40 year career in this in this industry. Mm, long time. The, uh, cons- uh, yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of changes, but uh, basically, when I started in the late 1970s in this industry, the um, the fear was that uh, the corporate publishing and the consolidation of publishing houses was was changing things, as indeed it was. Uh, hardcover and paperback uh, companies were merging. Today, that's boiled down into what are called the big five publishers, five major publishing conglomerates that. Um, have uh, uh, literally a couple hundred different imprints uh, that publish um, a vast majority of the books that we see um, in the retail world at, at a Barnes & Noble store, let's say. Um, so corporate, corporate publishing and uh, a corporate way of doing business in book publishing is, um, when we're talking about print publishing anyway, is the, is, is the dominant factor. Has it become harder to sell books to print publishers in New York, the big five? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it has uh, in general. It is definitely uh, more difficult for us to get projects through the process um, of acquisition at the big five. Um, they have editorial boards, which means a group of editors and marketers and salespeople who get together to decide what to publish and to um, uh, see if they have a way, an idea, about how to publish any given book. That's all fine and smart, um, but it does mean that there's a high bar and a lot of um, uh, hoops to jump through before a book is acquired. So it has become a more difficult process. But I think one of the uh, important things to understand about print publishing today is that it has become largely a hardcover business. Back in the day, um, I started my life in publishing at Dell Publishing, the paperback company. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a, um, it's today part of uh, Penguin Random House. Um, Original paperback publishing was big business back then. Um, And while there's still original paperback publishing today, um, it's much, much smaller in fact mass market paperbacks are an ever diminishing part of book sales. That's a big surprise to me since I started my life in mass market paperback, but um, it's, it's, it's the way things have gone. That uh, has a lot to do with the retail scene, uh, the fact that Barnes & Noble and other chains um, uh, are a little more invested in hardcovers where the profit margins are higher. But it also has to do with uh, consumer taste and uh, pricing as well. Mass market paperbacks eventually became uh, expensive at $699, $799, $899 in some cases. But the value, um, the value purchase of a mass market paperback became you know, less attractive. Simultaneously, hardcovers began being discounted by Barnes & Noble and others so that you could get a, um, a New York Times bestseller for... 10, 20, or 30% off. And so the price differential between that mass market and the hardcover shifted so that really you might as well um, buy the hardcover or wait for a trade paperback reprint later on. And that's the way things mm-hmm. are today. It's, uh, it's 
Mass market sales in one year recently, I think, were only 4% of book sales. You know, really an astonishing number to me. But that's the way it is. It's a hardcover business and a trade paperback business now. What that means for writers is that um, consumers who once would uh, buy a pulpy adventure paperback, you know, fun read um, at two ninety nine or three ninety nine or four ninety nine won't do that today. At twenty five dollars for a hardcover, um, consumers expect a much more substantial read, a, a much more novelistic kind of uh, story. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a fuller, richer reading experience. You hear publishers, um, editors of publishing houses talk about the rich read. And what that means is a, a substantial piece of writing that's not just telling a great story, but telling it beautifully. Um, I wrote a whole book on that subject. It was called Writing 21st Century Fiction, um, about what that kind of fiction looks like and how people can, uh, how people can do it. But anyway, it's, uh, this is all to say that in um, a world of hardcover books priced very high, when you're talking about uh, being published by the big print publishers in New York, um, you're looking at a, uh, a set of demands and a way of writing, a way of storytelling that is uh, a lot more complex, a lot more demanding, uh, and a lot more work. So... <laughs> Mm. Uh, that's how so, I see it. Um, so yeah. d- let me ask you this, that one of the big trends, I mean, I have said it's, you know, nonfiction is what I write, although I work with authors that do fiction or nonfiction and in multiple genres, but as a book shepherd and what I've seen, you know, pushing a lot of my authors in the nonfiction arena, as I've said, short is the new black. You've got, you've got to get to the point a lot quicker yet. They don't want a 350 page, 400 page phone of here's the problem. And here's all these other solutions and the history to it. They just want to get this a solution. That's different from the fiction where they really just want a really good read. And some of the trending I'm seeing, I'm, I'm sure you're tuned into the, the, the empire of uh, the James Pattersons, for example, um, who are creating these mini books now, the mini, you know, the airplane read. How's that going across? You know, where you, you just well, get it, you know, and you get an hour novel kind of. That is, yeah, if you look at the top New York Times bestsellers, um, the, the names that uh, recur on that list over and over again, uh-huh. Um, they do write a pretty speedy read, you know, a very plot-driven um, uh, kind of read. Uh, James Patterson has really perfected that uh, way of writing with his short chapters and, and, and very punchy, plot-driven, high-concept mm-hmm. stories. I have to say, though, that that is, while that does describe um, a class of fiction um, and top New York Times bestsellers in many cases, that is not the only way to write fiction. It's not, um, uh, I, I would say it's more the culmination of um, uh, the type of writing we think of as pulp writing. Um, in fact, most fiction, and there are a number of other authors, many bestsellers too, who are writing that more substantial retreat that we're talking about. Um, they may not be in the number one slot on the New York Times list. They may not be selling a lot of books in airports, but they are uh, developing considerable followings. Uh, you have to remember too that when you look at New York Times, the New York Times bestseller list, what it measures is the, not how many books 
a given author, a given title sells, it measures how quickly they sell. It's the rate of sale that the, the list measures. And sure enough, uh, that kind of James Patterson read is very popular. It does sell very well in airports and sells very quickly when new titles come out. Other authors, though, build their following and their audience over time. They can sell quite a few copies, just as many copies, but over a longer period of time. But there's a, So there's the uh, meatier read, let's, or, or juicier read, maybe that's what I'll say. We're going to take a quick break. With me is Don um, Moss, who is really getting into something I love, the nitty-gritty of what work, what's working and what's maybe not working so well, but how to do it for writers and authors. We'll be right back. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you or another author you will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being good with If you already have a book out, You'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author U's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publish. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content-heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has possessed Punch and Panache. Author U is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join Author U today through its website at authoru.org. Follow Author U on Twitter at Author U and on Facebook at Author U, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. Author U, where the author goes to become seriously successful. Impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop, sizzle, and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience. And your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand. Nick Selinger of NZ Graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts. With over 20 years of experience in graphic design, he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need, such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 
Well, I always love it when I can talk to my guest off the air, whether by our lovely, lovely, fabulous, please support our sponsors. Um, ads are running. And he brought up a phrase that um, certainly t- makes total sense that no one has really thrown it at me. And it's called microtension. And we were, we were talking about this long versus short. And I asked uh, Donald when we came back if he would really you know, expand on that a little bit, because I mean, I work with a lot of fiction writers that do political thrillers and do that, but no one has thrown that phrase at me. So Don, take it and run with it, please. Certainly. Um, We were talking about um, short versus long, um, speedy reads versus the more, um, more leisurely kind of read. And I think the the trend overall, as, as I see it, is to longer novels, more words between the covers. Um, so how, how does that work? I mean, if the imperative is to tell a speedy, fast-reading story, a very plot-driven story, uh, and yet uh, you hear me saying the richer, more substantial read is important, you know, what, how does all that work together? Well, the fact is that long or short doesn't really matter um, to readers. What matters are tension levels. Uh, and I think it's it's really important and imperative for uh, fiction writers to understand that whether you're writing a fast-moving, action-driven story or whether you're writing a more contemplative, inward, journey kind of story, a more literary kind of novel, the same thing is at work if readers are turning the pages, and that is the tension that readers feel in their own minds and in their own hearts as they read. Microtension is a technique, it's really a set of techniques that creates uneasiness or apprehension or even a kind of cognitive dissonance in the, in the mind or, or, or the emotions of the reader. In other words, causing the reader moment by moment, page by page, to wonder what's going to happen next or um, what, is, what, is, uh, uh, what is the answer to a question what is, um, uh, what is somebody really feeling or thinking? In other words, teasing the reader along <clears throat> with, with unanswered questions, with um, uh, apprehension of one kind or another. As long as the reader is uneasy, mildly uneasy in some way, they'll seek to relieve that, uh, that dissonance, that unease that they feel. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to read the next thing on the page. If you keep that going, page by page by page, you can write at great length and still have people rapidly turning the pages, eager to see what's coming. So short or long doesn't really matter. What matters are tension levels, and the uh, techniques of microtension are um, are what make that happen. Um, In a book of mine called The Fire in Fiction, there's a a chapter about microtension. It's a 90-page long chapter. Uh, explaining how microtension works. Once you understand it, you can do anything. You can break any rule. You can get away with anything. Weather openings, um, descriptions of the landscape, all kinds of things can work if you understand that the purpose of them is to create uneasiness in the reader's mind. That causes them to keep reading. So that's a short take on microtension. Right. And, and I'm one of those people, you know, because I, I read political thrillers. I mean, that's, that's my... Uh, um, what, when, when, that's my reward, <laughs> Don, or that, that, okay. when I fin when, when I finished a book, I kind of give myself 
uh, a month I get to read trash. So political thrillers are in my trash. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get anything, although I learn, but it's just that I can just kind of dive into something and enjoy it type of thing. So, um, you know, that's well, what now, I like. When we're speaking of thrillers, we're talking about fiction that um, many writers believe is uh, entirely plot-driven. And mm-hmm. I would uh, agree that when you're talking about thrillers, you are talking about um, uh, a type of fiction and readers who value that kind of intrigue, that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of uh, high plot content sort of novel. However, I think it's important also to understand that its plot alone engages us only in one way. It engages our curiosity. Um, it intrigues us mentally. To engage us emotionally takes something else. And even thrillers, especially the thrillers that work really well and those series characters that, that bring us back book after book in a good series of thrillers, are engaging us emotionally. And that happens in different ways. It, it doesn't happen because of plot. So there's another whole dimension to uh, writing fiction and even thrillers, even political thrillers, that um, is not really dependent on or derived from the plot. Plot matters. It's one of the reasons you, you you pick up a political thriller for some entertainment, for some relief. But it will only work on one level, and it'll be kind of a shallow reading experience unless there's a deeper engagement with the characters and that's a whole other subject. Well, I, I love the I love the phrase "shallow reading experience." See, that's when I close the book. <laughs> that's when I close the book. Well, yeah, yeah, you and you and everybody really. Um, the uh, what used to be the uh, a pulp read, you know, a fast moving, adventure driven mm-hmm. kind of story with uh, one dimensional characters, you know, cardboard cutout characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a viable way to write, but it only works at, up to a certain price point. After that, it becomes uh, consumers begin to feel, "Wow, I'm not I'm paying a lot of money, but I'm not really getting very much for it." So um, the, you can s- still find plenty of pulp and adventurous kinds of novels there, but they're priced much lower. You tend to find them uh, e-published. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just that at a certain point, the price imperative, the, the, the price that consumers are willing to pay for a particular reading experience changes the equation. Certain kinds of fiction, you can't sell at $25. You can only sell it at $1.99 or $2.99. That's fine. But I think it's important to recognize you know, what kind of book um, you're dealing with um, the price point at which it needs to be delivered to consumers, and um, you know that feeds backwards into the writing process. If you want to sell books for twenty-five dollars through a Random House, it requires you know a, a deeper levels of engagement with with uh, with readers and a different set of techniques that uh, I've also written about. Mm-hmm. Well, can we get into some of those techniques? Because, you know, when you're out presenting to the big five or if you're, you know, going down, um, I, I know that, you know, years ago, years and years ago when I was doing New York stuff, William Morris was my agency. And that it, it turned out to be one of my big books in the nonfiction area was rejected by every, mate, every major. And we went to a down level, 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 level. 
And because I felt it was a big book and it turned out to be a very big book on that. But that sometimes um, we authors get ahead of ourselves, ahead of the the times. The trend hasn't really hit. So as an agent, you know, what are the things? Let me just ask this. What is an agent? What are you looking for um, in in a new type of author you would be considering representing? Uh, <laughs> is, that a, uh, is that a million dollar question? <laughs> well, it's not always a million dollars. I wish it was. But um, <laughs> no, the, uh, the fact is that there are many kinds of fiction and there are many kinds of readers. There, there, uh, every author's got a unique audience. So what we're looking for is, is not books that uh, capitalize on any trend or even get ahead of any trend or establish a trend. What we're looking for are authors um, who are great storytellers, you know, who um, are terrific writers. Fiction careers are a little bit unlike nonfiction in that uh, they're typically not made with one book. Um, fiction writers mm-hmm. have long careers. They have many books. Sometimes they write series. And that's, um, that's good, but it means that those writers have to create a great story time after time after time. So I'm looking for, um, what I'm looking for is not, you know, any particular type of novel, any particular genre or subgenre or, you know, to books that fit into a box or a slot somewhere. What I'm looking for are authors who have the instincts and the ability, uh, the craft, to create not just one great book, but many great books. So, or at least the potential to do that. Um, we do a lot of editorial work with our clients, and, um, you know, there's always a challenge with every new book. There's always something, you, you know, that doesn't quite work or you don't know how to do exactly until you get there. Um, that's okay. That's fine. That's part of the process. But we're looking for people who've got that kind of, got those kinds of chops as a, um, as a writer. So it's for us, to summarize, it, it's not so much about trends um, or, or styles or anything like that. It's about it's about instincts and um, ability that is craft um, in fiction writing in general. So you could be a science fiction writer, you could be a literary fiction writer. It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the quality of your storytelling, which makes a huge difference on that. So um, and they have to be a good storyteller. I mean, one of the things I do encourage my fiction writers is is that they, if they have the next book, because I I've always said books breed books. I don't care if you're fiction or nonfiction. There's a breeding factor that happens here, and that if they know where the next book is going, that it's always a good idea to whether you're seeking for agent representation or you're doing it yourself to include, you know, a synopsis in the next few chapters, something to let them know that you're not a one-book pony. Is, is that a good idea, Don? Well, sure. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's kind of rare to meet fiction writers who only have one book idea. Most of them have, um, you know, a number of projects on the boil or, or on the back burner or, you know, in, in, a, in a folder full of cocktail napkins with ideas scrawled on them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, I love the folder full of cocktail napkins because I'm uh, you're talking <laughs> to someone who does that. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and we're talking sure. with Donald Moss, who is the um, the really the head of the Donald Moss Literary Agency in New York. We're talking fiction as well as just what's going on in publishing. It's all for you, your guide to publishing. 
Publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Want to publish like a pro today? Well, then take a look at Ingram Spark, the only publishing platform that offers print and ebook services through a single source. Upload, edit, and manage titles all in one place. Take more control of printing costs with print on demand and reach even more readers through one of the world's most extensive distribution networks. Built by independent publishers for independent publishers, Ingram Spark has everything you need to maximize your book's potential. Color printing, ebook distribution, print on demand, global reach, and more. Start publishing with Ingram Spark today and see just how far your titles will go tomorrow. That's IngramSpark.com. Many of us have dreamed of writing a book. Some of us even have. Then the hard work starts. You'll need an editor. Who will design the cover or typeset the pages? Who will format the ebook? If you're a business owner, consultant, or coach with a serious message and expertise to share, the team of experts at 1106 Design can guide you through the maze. They've helped more than a thousand authors create top quality books and avoid the not so reputable self publishing companies. Learn more at 1106design.com. Then call Michelle at 602-866-3226. 1106-DESIGN. When Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972, they believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing questions. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 
With me today is Donald Moss, head of the uh, uh, Donald Moss Literary Agency, and we're really talking a lot about fiction because that's what they do. And I ran into Don at the Las Vegas Writers Conference earlier this spring, and and it, he was doing a special one day actually post the conference um, on on the, the from the craft of writing, but also you know writing the breakout novel, which is one of his longest running workshops he does. So I, I just have to ask this: What makes a breakout novel? Well, the breakout novel is an industry term. It's it's been around for um, as long as I've been in the industry. What it means is the book in an author's career that lifts that uh, author to new levels of attention, you know, sometimes to the Times bestseller list. Well, mm-hmm. I started thinking about what it is that makes the difference in those breakout novels. Why, are, why is this book the book that brings an author more attention and greater sales? What, and, and even more than that, there are, you can always find similar books that don't sell as well, that don't get the same kind of attention. What's the difference? How does that happen? What are those authors doing differently than other authors or even their, uh, than they did in their own previous work? Well, that was the, that started me thinking about all those issues and what they mean and you know, how, they, how they play out as one writes and composes a story and constructs characters and so on and so on. Um, and that's writing the breakout novel. So it's a set of techniques, a way of looking at characters and character development, uh, plot and uh, plot layers and... Uh, escalating stakes and what that means, what happens, for instance, in a story where there are no overt plot stakes, how do you raise, give a sense of rising stakes in a story that's purely character-driven, that's only about an individual's journey through one experience or another? What does it mean to raise the stakes in a a novel like that? Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things that I address in that workshop. Great. You know, I have to ask you, how do we get authors, and I see this in fiction all the time. I, I had, uh, um, I do a little gathering. I live in Colorado, and once a month I do kind of a, come to my house. There's no cost on a Saturday morning. It's a pick my brain. I put a flip chart up, put your questions up. And, and you, you know, I, I usually have the answers for all of them, but when you've got 20 other people, there's a lot of other answers in the room. So it's always an interesting three hour back and forth that goes on. And one of our attendees, Don, you know, his first time he's going out, he wanted some people to, if anyone would be ready to take a peek, it's not a writer's deal. It's more for, you know, authors who are out there. So we have fiction and nonfiction and um, that he wanted to know if anyone would be willing to read. And his genre was one that my, you know, that's my, my, uh, my uh, trashy read. So I said, I'll take a look at it. And I said, you know, you, you've got to start here, but you need to dump the f- entire first half. It's all info dump. It's and and so, and and get into set this baby off and get me going in here. How are, do you have tips for authors to get away from the dreaded info dump? Yes, and set up and backstory and all the things that writers do, um, essentially to prepare to write the story. There's a process of getting to know characters. There's a process of creating the story world. Um, Science fiction and fantasy writers have a very elaborate process for that. It's called world building, where they create a a world where the rules are different, where the presumptions are different, a future world or a magical world or something like that. 
mm-hmm. all of which has to make sense and be consistent and um, uh, and so on and so on. A lot of that work is uh, great work. It's it's uh, you know requires a lot of imagination. It requires a lot of human understanding. Uh, it requires getting to know your characters, dialoguing with your characters, finding out who they are and where they came from. And none of that belongs in the first chapter. <laughs> and that's when where they put read. it, though. But that's where they put it all the time. <laughs> well, more experienced authors do all of that work, but they, they leave, it, leave it out of the manuscript. Uh, less experienced authors are, are doing that work um, and as if it were the novel, and, and it's not. So the effect you're noticing of info dump, or sometimes what I call setup, uh, what's sometimes called backstory as well, um, is really the process of an author getting to know their characters and getting to know their world. It's just that that's not the story. It's, it's groundwork. It's preparatory work. Um, the story really begins when change begins. And that's, uh, that's a different point um, uh, somewhere in the chronology of a character. So it's it's what you're really saying when I'm hearing that the backstory and the info dump is also really for the 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 writer author him or herself to really set their mental stage to go forward with the story. Yeah, there's a problem though in your t- you were talking about advanced readers. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Most professional authors do have uh, critique partners. Uh, they also have beta readers. Um, mm-hmm. One uh, Times best-selling author my agency represents has a kind of a panel of a hundred beta readers, uh, trusted readers who read his novels in advance and give him feedback. Um, wow, that's, that's a huge, um, that's a huge lot of information to to incorporate. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that happens in critique groups, though, and this is true in, in uh, groups where the writers tend to be a little newer or, or earlier in their process, in their development, one of the things that happens is when they meet a character who's intriguing to them, who engages them and catches their attention and their interest, one of the things they say to authors in that critique situation is, I love this character. I need to know more about him or her you got to tell me more about who they are and why, they're, why mm-hmm. they are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds to the author like, oh, I need a lot of backstory. I need to explain how this character came to be obsessed with this or that or whatever it might be. And so they put all of that information in because the critique people are asking for it. Well, the problem is that it's just not it's just not story. How do you how do you counteract that effect of uh, readers wanting to know more? I think the key thing is for authors to remember that readers will wait. If they're intrigued by a character, they'll keep reading, and that's the effect you want. Uh, you know, I like to say backstory belongs in the back. I mean, it, it, if there are things that we need to know to understand the character and how they came to be the way they are. You save it for later in the novel when it becomes a revelation and not at the beginning of the story where it's just info dump, to use your phrase. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a way to tease and unfold a character for readers, and then there's a way to create uh, you know, an encyclopedia of a character, and that's, you know, that's not really as effective. So no, and you know, authors, if they want to do that, one of the ways they can help 
to reveal some of that is they can go to their blogs and do more revelation and let people know some of that backstory a little bit that isn't relevant to bring into their actual novel um, and get them oh, engaged. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You can do that with secondary characters too. Sometimes uh, a secondary character's origin story or something can spin off into a short story that mm-hmm. you post on a, a blog or a website, your author's site. Um, those are extras that you can add for uh, for your fans that are mm-hmm. just wonderful. It's just that they don't belong in the novel itself, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the authors I you know I used to follow. Um, George was one of them. I used to like her earlier novels, and I think she when she killed off a main character, I thought, oh my god, you killed the wrong person. <laughs> but, but and I understand <laughs> that sometimes you do. George? Yes, Elizabeth George. I was a huge right, fan of her okay. earlier stuff. And when she killed Helen, I was going, I mean, several of us who were super <laughs> fans going, what the hell? <laughs> and, and, and then she tried yeah. to make up for it and explain what in the hell happened. And she lost us. She totally lost us. And I think she's got her groove back again. And I read something and I actually shot it off to a few of the people and said, hey, I think she's found her mojo again. But it, it, it just, it's amazing when those things happen. And, it's, you know, we, there's a mourning <laughs> that goes on. Well, that shows the depth of your engagement with that character. Uh, one of the things that creates that fascination we have with characters is, is their inner conflict, their ongoing inner struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, great characters are, are not happy, necessarily. That's not to say they, they wallow and are miserable and whining for... 400 pages, that's no fun either. But, um, but these characters have unresolved conflicts, and those keep us going. Um, it's, it's a different kind of tension. You know, we want to see what's going to happen to a human being. Um, so that's, that's really one of the secrets of writing great fictional characters is to create great struggles uh, that, they, uh, that they undergo. That's true even of series characters. I mean, if you think about it, some of the greatest series characters ever created, Sherlock Holmes, for, for example, oh, yes. there are things about Sherlock Holmes that are contradictory that we don't understand. Um, why is such a brilliant man also a morphine addict? You know, how did that come about? Why does he shoot up morphine? Um, <laughs> Maybe because yeah. he likes it. But, but with that said, let's take another <laughs> quick break. <laughs> let's take another quick break. Um, and, and with us is, is the fabulous Donald Moss. This is Judith Bryles. This author, you, your guide to publishing. is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these the book shepherding concept is simple the publishing world is changing and so must you You need an experienced shepherd and a guide to partner with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand, and is a financial success, a bestseller. It's your choice. You choose. You need the book shepherd. 
Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You don't need problems, you want solutions. Dr. Judith Browse will shepherd you through the maze and the chaos. At times, she's had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher or by a publishing service provider or sometimes even the author themselves. Judith Bryles is the book shepherd if you want to create a book with no regrets. Give her a call today, 303-885-2207. That's 303-885-2207. Or email her at judith at bryles.com. By the way, Bryles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at MyBookShepherd and on Facebook at The Book Shepherd. One of the most important decisions you will ever make is your choice for printing your book. You are choosing a company which will be responsible for guiding you through the process and printing your book at a level of quality and detail that embraces your personal and creative needs. You want to choose a company that when your book finally arrives, you are delighted and ready to move on to the next level and one that is customer focused. Choose King Printing Company and Addy Books to be that company that brings you to the next level. Go to kingprinting.com or call 978-458-2345 and ask for Tom Campbell. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years' experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types, including side sewing. We provide warehousing, kitting, distribution, inventory management, a new print-on-demand facility, streaming browser-based ebooks, and bookstore. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, I've loved this show with Donald Moss because there's so much information that fiction writers miss out on. And it's really about the, the, the craft. And his latest book, the emotional craft of fiction should be on your must-get list uh, of, of that. One of my other favorite ones, uh, Don, is Stephen King's On Writing. Um, I, I've always uh-huh. loved that book going through where I actually highlighted sections. And, yeah, you get your, his background and what did that. But he really has some really great, awesome tips um, uh-huh. and it, it, that yeah, apply to both fiction book. and nonfiction. And one of the things that 
um, that for all of you listening in, that maybe you're not a fiction writer, but you know what? You need to be a storyteller. I think that the, the best nonfiction books incorporate storytelling within their books. I mean, I push it. I don't, Don, how do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, the not all nonfiction is is narrative, of course. I mean, their uh, cookbook is you know, barely narrative, um, but a lot of a lot of nonfiction is narrative. Um, certainly, memoirs, uh, history can be like that as well. Um, uh, uh, military books and so forth do tell stories, and the storytelling techniques um, in fiction can be can be very, very useful for uh, nonfiction writers to understand as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But fiction is, fiction is what we do largely at my agency, so we are, um, we're really focused on that. Of course. But, but, and I know in, on the nonfiction side, I just turned, uh, finished uh, the third book in a leadership series for a client who is very, very successful. And I said, you know, everything's here. It's accurate. You know, you're ready to go. But I'm telling you, I, there's no heart in here. I don't feel a heartbeat on that and I want you to go back to each chapter and you create a story from your team there that will give it and then give it back to me and let me work on it and I'll incorporate it within but that 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 with especially with nonfiction that you can go especially on the internet you can find all these articles and all these goodies that will support whatever you're looking for but to create the fans I think you've got to have that other element I call it heart um, to bring it in and engage them to tell the authors your reader as an author telling your readers that you know you get them and you're writing about them their friends their colleagues their co-workers whatever and they will connect with it at least that's one of my techniques for for working on the nonfiction line Oh, I certainly agree. If you're talking about a, a business book or a leadership book, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's the stories, it's the anecdotes in in that book that are really going to reach people. As they're they're the things that people are going to remember. Um, and the I think there's something worth understanding though about that. Not just any anecdote or any story is going to have that effect on readers. What's, what's going to reach readers are stories that reach them emotionally, that, that ring their hearts. I mean, you use the word heart. And I think that's mm-hmm. uh, important. But what is it that produces that effect? What creates that sense of, of uh, emotional uh, connection on the part of readers? It's when a story or an anecdote illustrates some kind of change. When, yes. um, particularly when uh, it, it illustrates a, a, a turn toward a better way of doing things, even a turn toward virtue in some way. That, that's a, a very powerful component in a story. When people change, when people turn toward the good, it's deeply emotional for us, and those are the stories that we, uh, we really connect to, that we really admire, that we really remember. That's exactly right. And sometimes, sometimes the change is not always really good, as you know. Sometimes your character, you think, um, I remember reading one of the national uh, booksellers, and I, I won't get into the name of it, but he won the National Book Award and all that. And I, I, so I picked up the book, and I read it through, and I forced myself through it, Don, forced myself through it. Huh. And when I was done, I hated the book. There was there was not one redeeming thing or thing I cared about in these characters. 
And it's not that he wasn't a great writer. He was a good writer. I just hated the characters. So I'm thinking, is there something wrong with me? And, and we, in a book group that was not doing the book, almost the majority came up with kind of the same response. I'm going, what was going on here? You know, what happened? Did I miss the boat? Did we all miss the boat? But that I, I want to care about, I want to care about the, my characters, even when they're naughty. I want to kind of see what the heck are they going to do next? You know, can they, can they up the, the naughtiness game? You know, well, the, you know, you've, you've raised a huge issue um, for fiction writers, for, for really writers who are telling, uh, any kind of writer who's telling a story. And that is, why do we care about characters, even if they're tormented, even if they're, you mm-hmm. know, what we shorthand as dark characters? Mm-hmm. Um, why, when characters are dark uh, and, and troubled in that way, why do we care about them even so? Whereas at other times, like in the, uh, the National Book Award winning novel you're describing, um, do we are we indifferent or even actively dislike characters? And I think it has to do with um, yearning and longing in characters. When characters long to change or, or want to be different, want to go somewhere or become something else, they can be pretty dark and yet will still feel a sense of sympathy for them. Um, people who want to change, you know, uh, uh, capture our hearts. People who are just miserable don't. Um, I mean, that's the simplest way to explain it. So uh, dark characters and tormented characters can work very well in fiction, but only if we have hope for them, uh, which means that they have some hope or desire of their own to, um, uh, or to put it very simply, if characters want to change, then we will care about them. If they don't, if they're just wallowing, then we won't. And uh, I think that may be the effect you're describing with that book that you hated so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, and so now we're, now we're into therapy. Okay, so let's kind of look back. <laughs> <laughs> let, yeah, let's you have look. to want to change. Right? <laughs> oh, my God, I know, I know. And, well, the same thing happens with movies. I, 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 told, I, I told a friend, I said, you know what, I don't want to go, I don't want to go now, see another Debbie Downer movie. I, I mean, I just, I, I've really had it. I, I just, um, I, I just, I, I want to have fun. And, and, and all my friends who are, a lot of my, our colleagues are into the Game of Thrones, which I call the four Bs, babes, boobs, blood, and battle. And, and I, we were, and, and, we, and if someone said, watch this episode. And I said, yep, you can be engaging. But I said, I don't think I want to go there. I just don't want to think I want to go there right now. Um, let, let's look back to what's going on with just the whole literary scene in with agency. So is it, is it worthwhile for authors to, because certainly the self-publishing, independent publishing movement has grown hugely, hugely. It, does it still make sense to reach out to an agency like you? And, and, and do you have some rules? Would you give kind of like a rules to an author that, you know, how much time should you put into that before maybe I should look at Alt-B or something like that? Or should we not go down that path? <laughs> well, it's, it's a good question and a new question in, in our era. Um, <clears throat> the possibility of, of self-publishing or e-publishing definitely exists. It's an option for uh, authors today, and really it's, it's a choice, a fork in the road, um, and, and not, not an absolute one where you can never go back. Um, once you self-publish, that's, that's not true. Um, I, think, uh, I think those who successfully self-publish, though, 
uh, are a special breed of authors. They're the ones who uh, not only love writing and, and tell uh, stories well, but those who um, also have an understanding of and a, and a passion for marketing their own work. Um, if you look at those successful self-published or e-published authors, um, and on balance, they spend about 50% of their time writing and about 50% of their time marketing. Um, understanding the ways and, and, and means of that, how to, uh, you know, how to use uh, a- Amazon, the Kindle bookstore, effectively how to uh, cultivate readers and uh, a fan base, and how you do that, all of that is, is really essential uh, for, uh, for e-published authors. So I would say that in making that choice, uh, one thing you want to take a look at is how much do I love the process of publishing? Not just putting a book together and making a cover for it, but reaching out to readers um, daily uh, on an ongoing basis. If you've got a, a taste for that and a passion for that and a, a head for that, it can be a wonderful experience, and some authors have had tremendous success with it. Um, in terms of print publishing and whether it's worthwhile reaching out to agents and so forth, I would say yes, absolutely. The fact is that um, 20% of book sales overall are ebooks. That means that four fifths of book sales are in print. That's huge. It's not that e-publishing yes. isn't viable or you can't build an audience that way. It's just that you're perhaps missing four-fifths of the readers that you might have um, because you're ignoring print. So is it worth it? Yes. Okay. Is it easier? No. 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 Okay, so <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to hold it on that. Donald Moss, the author of The Emotional Craft of Fiction, get it. We're out of time. I hate it when I get that cue. Um, but that uh, it, it's actually not 50-50, Donald. It's 90-10 for the independent market for success. With that, thank you so much. It's Author You, your guide to book publishing. We'll be back with you next week. Keep writing, keep publishing, and keep marketing. a part of your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles each week